Unbelievable. 47 years of age, unemployed, not very good looking, not married, never been kissed. That's what she said. She said she'd never been kissed, but she had a dream. That YouTube video runs a little bit longer than that. It runs for about 11 minutes. It went viral within hours of her audition. And now Susan Boyle has had a, a three albums, I think. She has the most unbelievable voice. But she had a dream. And it was Britain's Got Talent that actually eventually became the avenue <coughs> through which she fulfilled her dream. I've preached on dreams probably four or five times in the last ten years. And I think it's one of the most important messages that any of us can ever actually hear. Because, as Pastor Keith was saying, we each individually have a purpose. Every single one of us, it says in Psalm 139, we were known before we were even formed in our mother's womb. And God loved us when we were but a twinkle in our parents' eyes or a sparkle in a glass of wine or whatever it was that led... <laughs> to our conception. But even before that, God knew us and God had a destiny for us. And that makes every single one of us unbelievably important to God. And we want to treat you guys as unbelievably important because that's the essence of the heart of Ignite Life Church, Gold Coast. I want to be self-indulgent to start with today and talk a little bit about some of the dreams I've had because I've actually been on this planet for almost 60 years and I think that makes me the most senior person here. It does. It may mean I have a little bit of wisdom. It also means I've made a lot of mistakes but I've also lived on the planet long enough to see many of my dreams come true. When I was a 12-year-old kid, I had a part-time job taking weather readings at the local radio station. I was brought up in a little country town named Kempsey on the north coast of New South Wales. It's exactly halfway between Brisbane and Sydney, by the way, which is probably why no one ever stops there. But as a 12-year-old kid, on, on weekend afternoons, I used to go down to the radio station and right down the back paddock behind the station... They had a little weather station with a Stevenson screen and I used to take the wet bulb temperature and the dry bulb temperature and work out the humidity according to a chart. I used to have a look in the sky and I had another chart so I could find, figure out what type of cloud it was. All that information was phoned through to the Met Bureau in Sydney and they used it for weather forecasting. But every now and then, the afternoon announcer would invite me into the studio and just say, well, Rodney... What's the weather like this afternoon? And I'd get on air and I just realised, oh man, I want to be a radio announcer. Well, guess what? God gave me a radio station. I was 12 years old. How, was, how old was I in 1993? I think I must have been 47. Does that make sense? I was born in 1956 to 1993. Whatever. Anyway, we were in Toowoomba. There was no Christian radio station in Toowoomba. 
And I received a phone call from Hal Short, who headed up United Christian Broadcasters, which was based in New Zealand, and by then had gone international. And he asked me if I'd be interested in attending a meeting. And as Hal Short was speaking to me on the phone, I heard the voice of God say, make this your mission. And uh, Jeanette, Jeanette and I, between us, we basically worked a full-time job at the station for about five years. There was nothing but a dream to start with. And I mean nothing. I didn't know anything about radio. We had no money, no equipment. When we did our first test broadcast, we used a caravan that someone had lent us. It was so old and rotten, when we opened the door, the whole door fell off. We had a, a transmitting mast that was actually made out of scrap pieces of aluminium. And we had this caravan on a spare block of land, fairly high land, in Toowoomba. Everything that went to air was actually on videotape, on VHS tape run at half speed, so we got six hours of programming on the tapes. And our very good friends, Julie and Mike Taylor, some of you will know Julie and Mike, they were the first announcers. Well, we ended up with a radio station, and that radio station is now 92.9 Voice FM in Toowoomba. It's been broadcasting on a full-time licence since just before Christmas, 1999. A little boy had a dream in his heart. By the way, I did a radio program for 11 years. I was the most famous country gospel <laughs> DJ in the nation. My program, my, listen to this, my program was even syndicated. There were two other radio stations that took the program for a, for a period of a few years. I used to love it. And I got to meet so many beautiful people. And one of the things I used to love to ask writers, how do you write songs? And of course, everybody writes them differently, as some of you guys know. For some, it was an inspiration. It just happened and out the song came. For others, it was blood, sweat and tears over many, many days and weeks to write a decent song. But I, I met so many fabulous people in the 11 years during which I, I did that program. But that came to an end because God took me on to another dream. And we had to leave Toowoomba. We moved down here to the Gold Coast. I started working in Brisbane at CHC, Christian Heritage College. Now, let me tell you, 10 years before I started working there, I was down there for a meeting, and I remember standing at the top of the car park thinking, I'd like to work here. 10 years later, guess what? I was the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College. And God spoke to me shortly before I went and said, if you go to CHC, I will put you on the speaking circuit. And through this little thing here, the Centre for Missional Business, we've promoted the idea that the very heart of business needs to be God's specific purpose for that business, which is going to be outworked in the spheres of production, people, planet and profit. I'm actually doing a presentation at a conference on Tuesday on that whole missional business model. I've actually been all over the world. I'm, one of the, I'm actually one of the leaders of the Businesses Mission Movement. I've been to the business, um, the main convention there. I'm also heavily involved in business um, theology. I'm a shy boy from the bush. I've just been appointed to the, to the um, International Council on Business and Theology. How on earth could that happen? I stood at the top of a car park one day and had a dream. And 10 years later, the dream happened and it's still unfolding. I'm going to Korea in about this time next week, actually. I think I'll be in the air 
I've got meetings in Korea with people from the University, from the University of the Holy Land. Yeah. And we're looking actually through a convoluted route to bringing out as many as 500 Christian Chinese businessmen to study missional business at CHC. A shy kid from the bush, scared of his own shadow, scared of the dark, but I had a dream. I want to share with you the biggest dream I've ever had. This is my family. Let me introduce my family. The greatest dream, the greatest dream was to have a normal family. The greatest dream I've ever had is the dream of family. And even as a teenager, I wanted nothing more actually than to be married one day and to have children. And Jeanette and I actually witnessed the same bank robbery in Sydney. We didn't know it at the time, but we actually met not too long after that. And we almost fell in love. I mean, it wasn't overnight, but it took about three months. And I was 24 then, and within 12 months we were married. And three years later we had our first absolutely fabulous daughter, Ainsley. And two years after that, Lauren, who might be coming for the barbecue lunch because she likes meat. Her and Heath might be coming. And um, meat. Oh, she likes me a bit as well. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, we, do, we don't look like this all the time. That was taken at a, nerd, at a nerd's night, and I, I reckon we make pretty good nerds. Don't you love the legs, eh? Look at the knees. And I've still got those socks, by the way, and sandals. <laughs> it's a funny thing. When, when our kids were sort of about 8, 10 years of age, they, I used to wear socks and sandals, but they actually managed to stop me from doing that, and I'd never wear socks and sandals anymore. But some of you might not know, but Jeanette was really very ill during pregnancy. In fact, she was so ill that we decided after we'd had the two children, although we actually wanted more children, that it would be better if she didn't go through that whole sickness. She was just unbelievably ill. We would have liked to have had more children. And guess what? We now have. We've got David and Heath. So, and, and David and Heath, they're just our kids. They're not sons-in-law. They're our kids, Amen. and we love them just as much as we love Ainsley and David. So that was the biggest dream in my heart ever, <laughs> and God brought it to pass, and he's still bringing it to pass because we, we just get on so well, and we do a whole lot of stuff together. It's wonderful doing life, and um, that's just three dreams. I've had other dreams that have come to pass. You know, our God is a good, good God, and he puts dreams in our heart, and then he takes responsibility for making those dreams come to pass. There's a, a really important scripture from Psalm 37 that I, I believe if you take nothing from this morning's experience, go home and meditate on Psalm 37. It's written for every one of you. Yeah. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it 
to pass. How good is that? This is how much God loves you. If you trust 100% in Him, if you organize your life uh, to do good, and a few weeks ago I actually taught on what it means to do good, what, what are good works. They're thinking well, speaking well, and doing well. That, that's it in a nutshell. It's thought, word, and deed. As Pastor Keith said, the words we speak actually frame our world. But look at this. I'll just grab my little pointer here. We've got lots of technology here. I've just got to remember to turn it on. We are impressed, man. I've just got to remember how to turn it on. This word here, this word give, it actually has two meanings. The first is God actually placing the desires in your heart in the first place. Right? And then God granting those desires. So there are two aspects to that word in the context of that psalm. You see, God gives desires to the righteous. I'm going to talk a little bit about that momentarily. But this is a really important word because it, what it's saying there is if you do all these things, if you trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, he's actually going to place the dreams on your heart, yeah. the desires on your heart, and he is going to make them come to pass. Amen. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. Stick it on your fridge. Put it on your wall. Tattoo it on your arm. No. Okay, don't tattoo it on your arm. <laughs> Find somewhere else to tattoo it. <laughs> but this is such an important scripture from the word of God. Now I've got too many things. I don't know what to do next. Here's some scriptures that I believe you can rely on. Actually, you can rely on all scriptures. But in the context of dreams, here are five key scriptures. First, he, that's God, will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. And fear there doesn't mean to be frightened of him, but to reverence him. That is to place him above everything in terms of importance in your life the desire of the righteous will be granted oh i love that scripture i love that the desire of the righteous who's righteous who in this room is righteous ac's got it right jeanette's got every yeah danny everybody here is righteous do you know why you're righteous because god defines you as righteous god declares that you are righteous the instant you give your heart to him the instant you respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and say, yes, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that's when you are translated from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That's when God stops seeing you as a wicked person and he starts seeing you as a righteous person. And there's nothing you can think or say or do that will actually change your position in Jesus Christ. You are righteous. You are are the righteousness of God in Christ, says the word of God. No matter what anyone says to you or says about you or thinks about you, no matter what you think or say about yourself, as far as God is concerned, once you've made that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. 
So what happens when you're righteous? The desire will be granted. And remember, the desire was placed there in the first instance by God himself. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Some translations use the word plans. Other translations use the word desires. We're talking about dreams. We're talking about the plans and the desires and the thoughts that you have. Commit your works to the Lord. In other words, everything you do, do it for Him. A few weeks ago, we were talking about work. And you might remember that I suggested that you can see your work as an altar to which you bring your talents and your energy, your intelligence, and you offer it up to God as a sacrifice in the context of the work you do. And that the um, Hebrew word avadar, of course, means both work and worship. Also means service. I love that. It's got that threefold meaning, work, worship, and service. So you commit all your works to God and your thoughts will be established. Having them established actually means that they come to pass in the language of the Bible. Here's a couple of scriptures from the New Testament, just in case you wonder whether I'm all Old Testament. No, I'm not, but you can't understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. Yeah. But with all of that as background, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What brings God pleasure? Blessing you. I, I, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon without going back to Genesis 1. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve heard from God was blessing. Because Genesis 1 says, God created us, and then it simply says, and he blessed them. So God takes pleasure in blessing you. Us as individuals and us as community. So there's blessing involved whenever God experiences pleasure. It's God who's doing this. So again, you see, God can only do this if he's the one who is planting those dreams, those desires, those thoughts, those plans into your heart. In Romans 12, we read, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, God won't place a dream into your heart which is not consistent with his will for you. And as you grow as a Christian, as you allow him by the Holy Spirit to renew your mind as you're meditating on his word, as you're meditating on the teaching that you receive week by week, that process renews or metamorphoses your mind. Oh, sorry, that's uh, actually doesn't, it's the same Greek word, by the way, for transformation and uh, renewing. It's metamorphosis from the Greek metamorpho, and that's what happens to a grub when it goes into a chrysalis and turns into a butterfly. So that, that's the process that's going on there. As we allow that process, you see, we then get to the point where we can prove or demonstrate God's good and acceptable and perfect will for you. 
And as that unfolds, you see it all fits together in this grand jigsaw that we call the body of Christ. So the dream I had as a 12-year-old kid that eventually led to the establishment of radio station, which is now being, being broadcasting 24-7 since uh, 1999 full-time. That's, um, how long is that? 27 years. Is that 27 years? That is amazing. It's still going. Wow. How amazing is that? Do you think it's God's good and acceptable and perfect will that people in Toowoomba and surrounding areas get to hear the word of God in song and, and by the spoken word? You betcha. What about at CHC? Do you think it's God's good and acceptable and perfect will that people from all over the world come to CHC and learn how to do missional business among many other things? Absolutely. Do you think it's God's good and acceptable and perfect will that Rod St Hill should have a fabulous family? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it goes on and on and on. And as it does for me, so too it is God's desire that that would be the case for you as well. Five principles based on Psalm 37. The first is to fear the Lord. And as I've already mentioned, that's about having a reverential fear. It's not, it's not being frightened of him. You see, God isn't going around with a big hammer ready to whack you over the head every time he thinks you're going to do something wrong. The kind of um, reverence that, that we sometimes see in, in um, the mainline churches, I, I was brought up an Anglican, and I actually like to go to an Anglican communion service every now and then because of the reverence with which they treat communion. It's a very solemn affair. And that's, an, that's evidence, I think, of a reverential fear of God. And sometimes as Pentecostals, we can, we can treat it a little bit lightly. But, you know, God is a God to be reverenced because he is the one who spoke the universe into being. And it's his, his word, actually, that holds it all together. And uh, this doesn't mean we should cower in a corner in our bedroom, frightened that he's going to punish us for every sin we ever did, every, every sin we're doing now and every sin we're going to do into the future. Not at all. He loves you. His heart is to bless you. But remember how big is our God. The whole of the universe is in existence now because God is still at work upholding everything that he created. So every physical force, every chemical reaction was created and is sustained by a God who's interested even in counting the numbers of hairs on our head. It would take him longer to count the hairs on my legs actually, but that's not <laughs> biblical, so <laughs> there you go. So we need to have a, an, an attitude of reverence <coughs> For God. That's important. Trust in Him. Do you know it's pretty hard to trust someone you don't see? Now, I've actually seen Jesus, a, a vision of Jesus, but most of the time I don't. Most of the time when I'm praying, I don't actually see a representation of Jesus or God in front of me. So I'm actually trusting in a God whom I don't see most of the time. I see the evidence of God because I'm looking for it. But I don't see God. I have a relationship with this person called the Holy Spirit. 
whom I don't see. And we live in a world where we don't believe it if we can't see it, right? I'll believe it when I see it. You've heard that many times, no doubt. But we have a God, most of the time we don't see him, although some of us will have testimonies about times when we've actually physically seen God, as, as Moses did and as some other biblical characters did. But we're, we're called to trust him. We have to understand that God desires to bless us. Amen. You know, God is not trying to punish us. So sometimes, you know, when things don't work out, as we might have planned them in minute detail, just think, this loving God who is seeking to bless me just might have a better plan, right? The fine details of his plan might be a little bit better than the fine details of my plan. One of the things I struggle with is I want to be God's CEO. Thing is, he doesn't need one, right? He's already got the Holy Spirit. And uh, so sometimes I have to shut up, sit tight, and let God be God. So I have to trust him. Because I do, you know, I am the dean of business, right? Because I've got sort of business in my heart, I want to do stuff. I want to plan stuff. I want everything to happen yesterday. I do want to be God's CEO. But as I said, he's already got one. Delight yourself in the Lord. How many times each day can you involuntarily simply say, praise the Lord? God is good. To the point where it actually becomes habitual. Even if things might not be going exactly your way. Praise God anyway. So we need to um, cultivate a personal style of delighting ourselves in the Lord. I know what I was rescued from in uh, 1988, my 32nd birthday. I spent most of that day in my bed with a pillow over my head because I was really depressed. I, I had clinical depression. It was very, very bad depression. I was mildly suicidal. I don't know whether I would ever have killed myself, but I know for sure and certain I was about to walk out on my family. Not because they'd done anything to me. I just couldn't bear being around anybody. I used to go to my office and I'd, I'd, I'd leave home very early in the morning. I'd go to my office, I'd lock the door and I'd collapse in a heap on the middle of the floor and just cry. Nobody knew. And God rescued me from that. Amen. So I tell you what, I've got good reason to delight myself in the law because in the Lord, because I could have been dead, I don't know for sure, but I do know for sure that I would never have experienced the wonderful joy that I've experienced being married to Jeanette, raising Ainsley and Lauren and then seeing them marry David and Heath. Oh my goodness. I'm so blessed. I delight myself in the Lord because I know what he rescued me from. Commit your way to the Lord. I'm not always as good at this as I ought to be. But committing your way to the Lord is really saying, God, have your way. That, that's a, a prayer of dedication. When you, you know, when Jesus said, you know what, I don't actually want to go to the cross. I don't actually want to be scourged. I don't want to take the weight of the sin of the world. But nevertheless, your will be done, Lord. That was his prayer of dedication. And I think it's a good thing for us to be committed to simply saying, Lord, I want to do your will. Whatever your specific will is for me today, I want to do it. I want to rub shoulders with the people you want me to rub shoulders with. I want to, to um, help people in the ways that you want me to help them. I want to learn from your word what it is that you want 
to show me. So commit everything that you're doing uh, to the Lord. And finally, dwell in the land. I, I, I love this idea, you know. God wanted Israel to dwell in the promised land. Our promised land is a land of blessing. You go and have a look at Deuteronomy 28. That's famously known as the chapter that's got all the blessings and all the curses in it. And uh, in Old Testament times, of course, Israel had to obey all of the law in order to qualify for the blessing. But you know how we qualify for the blessing today? We qualify for the blessing today by having faith in Jesus Christ because he said, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, as far as God is concerned, he sees people who have fulfilled the law in all its detail. That's the land we dwell in. But we've got to be conscious of that daily because we have an accuser who's trying to convince us that we do not dwell in the land. So we've got to consciously push him aside, put him under our feet, and we have to dwell in the promised land, the land of blessing that is mapped out for us in Genesis not in Genesis 28. I can't help myself. I always go back to Genesis in Deuteronomy 28. Yeah, it's a good name. It is a good name. My word. Has anyone got photos of Genesis to flash up? Yes, I'm sure everyone has. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> so there you go. Five principles. Five principles to employ if you want your dreams to come to pass. Couple of caveats though, you might have to wait. Now I'm just going to walk across here and grab the full, the full um, set of verses. I can't get them up on that one screen. But you know, Moses had to wait. And uh, you don't hear this preached very often. I mean, a lot of people will say Moses sinned because he killed the Egyptian and then he sort of ran away into the bush because he was scared and stayed there for 40 years. But have a look at what it says here in Acts Chapter 7, verses 23 to 34. I'm using the New Living Translation because I think it reads a lot uh, more easily than some of the other translations um, for this particular passage. Here we go. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defence and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realise that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Now, some versions say when Moses was 48 years old, he had it in his heart to visit his people. That's a dream or a desire. He goes, he kills an Egyptian, they reject him because they didn't see that God had sent him to rescue them. This is 40 years before he did. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the men in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, so now Moses is 80 years old. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, 
an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. He had that dream when he was 40 years old. Other people rejected it. It took 40 more years for it to come to pass. Now I hope and pray that your dreams don't take that long and um, some of the new dreams in my heart, I don't want to be a hundred when that co they come to pass. But sometimes we have to wait. And the other thing is that sometimes we have to fight for our dreams. Because we live in this fallen world and everything that God purposed has been marred by sin. And it's not necessarily our sin. So my sin might not be constraining the unfolding of my dream, but it could be someone else's sin. It could be a decision someone else makes. Someone might close a door in my face when God intends it to be opened. So sometimes we have to fight. And we don't have time today to read through the whole of Psalms 20 and 21. But if you have a look at Psalm 20, you will see that this psalm is about preparation for the battle and Psalm 21 is about praising God for the victory. Who actually fights the battle for us? Yeah, God fights the battle for us. I think that's why there's nothing in between those two psalms. We have to prepare ourselves for battle. That's Psalm 20 here. We have to prepare ourselves for battle. And we do that by keeping in the word, by affirming the dream that we have. There have been times when I've just held my Bible up to God and said, well, Lord, the circumstances certainly don't point in the way of my dream being fulfilled, usually after I've had an argument with Jeanette. And say, so, well, God, that doesn't happen very often. Really, it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> but I hold my Bible up and say, well, your word tells me something different, Lord. And when you, when you do that, you, in a way you're saying, well, God, this is what you've promised me. And what I'm experiencing isn't what you've promised me. I'm calling it to come into line with what you've promised me. And then I praise God for the victory. Because the battle isn't mine, the battle is the Lord's. And he will see to it that you win through. But you've got to be prepared. You've got to Put on the armour of God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6. You've got to be prepared for the battle, but then praise him. And praise him for the victory before it's even been manifested in your world. Praise him for the victory, because he's already won the victory. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he was scourged so badly that he was totally unrecognisable. That's why his blood was shed. That was the biggest battle in the whole of human history. And it was fought so that your dreams and my dreams could come to pass. Psalm 21 contains 
a most wonderful blessing. And I want to actually read this and, and pray it over each one of us here today because I know all of you will have dreams and, and some of you are probably thinking now of dreams that you've had that haven't yet come to pass. In some cases, it's been a long wait. In some cases, you're having to fight for your dream. And we know in our own family, David and Ainsley have a dream to have children. And Jeanette and I, we have a dream to be grandparents. And uh, we've waited six or seven years so far. But you know what? We just affirm day after day after day. And when Jeanette and I pray, we say we will countenance nothing less than children. We reckon they're going to have triplets. Because you get a lot of social welfare when you've got triplets. And I said, Ainsley can go back to work and I will retire and I'm going to look after the triplets. That'll be pretty good fun, I reckon. I'll teach them economics. I'll teach them business principles. But, you know, before they can say the alphabet... They'll have their own lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah. And, and there'll be others. It's, you know, it's not just our family who are having to wait and who are having to fight this battle. For many of us, that will be the case. So let me read this as a prayer. May he, may our God, the God, who desires to bless us, grant your heart's desires and make your plans, your thoughts, your dreams, your desires succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory 